Hey everyone, welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Guther. Today, Lily and I have a whole bunch of cool stuff to share with you. Lily's got some information on owls she's going to talk about. We're going to talk to a representative from Birds Canada. We're going on a tour of the rainforest at Montreal's Biodome. I've got a bird identification app I'm going to demonstrate. And we'll have a little reflection. Why not? Let's get to it. Come on, Lewis. Did you know? Hey, Lily. Hi. How you doing? What the heck is that? <laughs> it's Theo. Theo making owl sounds? Yes. <laughs> Why owl? Is owl the theme? Yep. Oh. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, I was sent a poster. It's called The Wonderful World of Owls. Okay. It has a bunch of little pictures of owls on it and some facts about owls on it. You know, their oh. anatomy, what makes them cool, makes them different from other birds. Please do share. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, okay, they got keen night vision. So, you know, excellent night vision gives owls a hunting edge. Right. Um, their pupils can expand like the full size of the eye to make the most of low light that's incredible their pupils become the size of their actual eye they have tube-shaped eyes and sockets allow for larger retinas in a smaller skull wow so big eyes that's what owls have their images these big eyes right mm -hmm. ah. they also have amazing ears an owl's face is built for listening the stiff outer feathers of their facial discs funnel incoming sound to ear opening hidden behind soft, loose feathers. Kind of like a satellite dish. Yeah, to pinpoint the locations of prey, a boreal owl's asymmetrical ear openings triangulate sound coming from above and below. So they have more than just stereo sound. They almost have like 5.1 surround sound. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. They also have a, a quiet flight. You won't hear an owl's approach. So they have comb-like leading edge breaks up turbulent air for quieter flight. Velvety surfaces also decreases friction and sound, and a fringed trailing edge further reduces turbulence and sounds. Like, this is all their wings. Yeah, that's so cool. You know, I've heard that owls sometimes strike people in the head. If they're wearing those Daniel Boone furry hats especially, they think it's an animal. So they mm -hmm. come up from behind, they swoop down from behind and whack you in the head. They can actually kill people, break their necks. It almost happened to a friend of mine when he was out hunting. Totally caught him off guard. Oh. There was a mail carrier in the Gatineau's. He was attacked twice by the same owl over in the same week. They didn't like him. No, same thing. He was wearing a furry hat. Um, they're ear tufts and they're used for communication and camouflage, not for hearing. They're not even ears. So they do kind of sign language with their ears? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. They, they signal to each other? Mm -hmm. That's so cool. There's one owl, known as the exceptional burrowing owl. It's not nocturnal. It hunts during the day, lives in found burrows, not in trees, chases after prey on foot. It lives like a groundhog. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite one there on the uh, on the poster? The, the Probably the great gray owl. How big is that? Uh... No clue, but it's a big it's a big owl for sure. Okay, describe the great gray. They, they camouflage, so they have colors and patterns that kind of look like they can blend in with a tree trunk. Mm -hmm. And they have this really flat face with small eyes really close together and a small beak, but they're bright yellow. Like They kind of always have this facial expression, like they're looking at something really scary. Like they've seen stuff, you know? Uh -huh. Hey, thanks, Lily.
outdoor adventures. So we're going to step into our first ecosystem, which is the tropical rainforest, as is were uh, in Brazil, for example. Between all of our uh, different ecosystems, the temperature, the humidity, they're quite different. So this is what uh, the first thing we want the visitors to feel is the difference in the climate. Hey, Dad, you're going to go through a curtain of beads. A curtain of beads? All right. Chick -chick. Ah! <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm through. Oh yeah, it's hot in here. Hot and humid. Actually, those curtains are for birds. Yeah, so they don't fly out. Mm -hmm. So there's birds flying around in here with us. There's the maca at our right here. Um, they're rainbow colored. We don't hear them, uh, but we can see them. But they're kind of noisy. Uh, now they just. Ate few uh, few minutes ago, so they're they're like napping. Camel. <laughs> Not napping, but they're resting a little. Yes. Okay. So we have scarlet ibis for birds. Oh yeah. And uh, spoonbills. Spoonbills are uh, pink birds, looking a little like uh, flamingos. Yeah. So lots of colorful birds in here. Yes, and they can they can fly all around. So we have plenty of smaller birds flying all around freely. How, roughly, how many birds are in the uh, tropical exhibit here? Around 50, I'll say. Okay. So, and you've got a waterfalls over here on the left? Yes. What's this water feature all about? It's important for us to oxygenate the water because of the fish. So that waterfall is also, has also a purpose of adding uh, oxygen into the water. And what kind of fish are in there? All South American fish. They're all, so yes. it's, it's a whole thing. Fish, the whole birds, thing plants, everything is all South America. Yes. Hey, and that's a huge right there. Yeah. It's just like the catfish we have in our aquarium, but bigger. And also, so we have lots of plants all around us, and plants have different um, textures. So, so are these trees or plants that we're going to touch? Uh, that's a small tree. It could grow a little bigger. So just uh, uh, put uh, be careful. All right. Oh, oh, it's got it's got full spikes. Yeah. Wow. So oh, actually, my God. This is to avoid, let's say, monkeys or birds or to uh, climb on the, the top of the tree, a uh, palm tree here with lots of spikes. But, I won't like No, no, don't, one. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I shook the branch and all the water fell off the leaves yeah. on my head. <laughs> There's a sloth. He doesn't do much. Is he up there? Is there a sloth? Yeah. Yeah. Lily, Lily, describe it. Oh, I can't see it. It's just a blob of fur. Is it? What He's, color? Uh, white, very, like, whitish, almost beige. I hear they move about two meters a day. But when they move, they can move a lot longer uh, longer uh, distances if they have to. For example, if we feed them here, let's say we have uh, kind of 40 meters uh, of distance between where the, the sloth is standing right now and his uh, plate of food. Yeah. So uh, tonight, because they move essentially at night, it's going to be moving those 40 meters to get to its food. Lots of water features all around us. Water falling everywhere. The humidity is just intense in here. I'm just dripping. There's two fluffy, tiny orange monkeys sitting on that tree sleeping. Here we have an habitat with poison arrow frogs. Oh, yeah. So oh my very God. colorful frogs. They got the poison in their food chain. Uh, but here they, they're not eating quite the same thing as they're eating in the wild. So they doesn't get that toxic no molecule. One's gonna, no one's going to die if they touch one. No. Here we have actually the piranhas and an anaconda. 
do me a favor, do not let these loose in the St. Lawrence River, ever. No. <laughs> Don't worry. My goodness, that would be a, not a welcome uh, invasive species. <laughs> no. So what do you feed the piranhas? Uh, pieces of fish, uh, sometimes uh, small shrimps also, and they, they're not always eating uh, flesh, so we can feed them also with uh, some, uh, let's say, lettuce. And we have an anaconda in there. Anaconda is a... A big snake. Uh, how big is that? Uh, the one we have here is about three meters. Okay. They're uh, in the, they're in the floor. Florida Keys now, aren't they? Uh, this is the yellow anaconda, and this species, yes, actually goes to the south of the uh, United States. Yeah, they're an invasive species now. They're taking over, I understand. Yes. Bats. Lots of bats. Oh, yeah? The fruit bats? They're all fruit bats. All fruit uh, bats. So the big guys. They're not the biggest. Take we it. have, uh, like, fruit kebabs. So they just go and eat. And actually, it's dark in their habitat now, so we have a... Um, reverse day cycle so for them it's night and it's uh, daytime for us but during the night for us it's daytime for them so they're more active when we visit exactly, exactly. Yeah. wow so you can see in there lily what are they doing they're, they're flying around and i think there's this hanging fruit hanging melon yes. over there that's where they where they eat melon pears uh what else uh then we have kiwis bananas is it behind glass or um it's behind glass so they can they see us yes fruit bats are a better eyesight than um, insects uh, insectivorous bats so, ah, so they got the advantage so just be aware there are going to be some stairs okay we're just underneath the waterfall yeah i can feel it i'm hitting and the end of my white cane so there's the water but there's also a beach oh yeah and we have uh, capybaras and what are they biggest rodents on earth really uh, like big hamsters no uh, way <laughs> not sure how much they weigh but they are let's say about three feet long wow that's and huge now they're lazy they're lying on the ground uh, resting uh, when they get up they they're let's say two feet high so they're kind of big they're like a giant dog yes are they aren't omnivorous do they eat everything or no they're, they're um uh, they're rodents so they uh, so they eat they, they eat plants and will they swim as well yes they swim in but they're land animals that's swim. They're, they're land animal but they find also their food in lakes or rivers uh, they eat uh, seaweed as well they're not dangerous to people usually not but <laughs> if they get angry they have uh, nice and sharp teeth what color are they lily oh they're brown they're just brown they're, they're just like humongous brown guinea pigs would you like to have one of those as a pet yeah you would totally. apparently they have really sharp teeth what they have pink noses no they, they have no. tails tiny tiny little tails yeah tiny little guinea pig tails and how long is their fur medium length yeah yeah like a fluffy dog you know oh, yeah. and are the ears standing up or they lie flat they stand up but they're really 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 small and they kind of they shake their ears they do eh? yeah they do a little ear twitch it's really, really so they're cute. they're listening they have another monkey here black monkey yeah they all live in families so now we have a, a family of uh, three in there so like a mother, father, and a child? Uh, yes, but the child is quite big now. It's like an old teenager. Okay, okay. Now pity the parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back in the main space between all different ecosystems. My goodness, I'm, it's cold in here. After all that, right? I'm freezing. But it was comfortable before we went into the, oh, yeah. the tropical rainforest. But then I got, I got acclimatized. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters.
This is the Merlin Bird ID app. Why I like this is because it has a lot of Canadian birds and you can identify birds just by recording their soundtrack and the app is accessible. So I'm in the app here. Bird ID help for 8,500 plus species. There you go. Nav button. So button. at the beginning, menu. it's the, got the navigation button. That's what they call the menu. Home ID button. Home. Button. Start bird ID. Start bird ID. Photo ID. Photo ID. You can do it too. It has facial recognition. But, you know, if you're like me, uh, you're not going to be taking pictures of birds anytime soon. So that's probably not a good uh, way to do it. But if you think there's a bird around and you can hear it, you could take a picture and show someone later. Sound ID. Button. Sound ID is the one you want to work with. I'll click on that. Sound ID. Get as close to the bird as you can, comma, hold still, comma, and press record. So get as close as you can, hold still, and press record. It's got to be sort of quiet around you, and it will listen for the bird. Microphone button. So you want to hit that microphone button, so we'll, we'll, we'll hit it now. Close. Listening for birds. So I'll make a bird sound. Stop. Button. Stop. We'll stop, stop that. Dim. My sound recordings. Back button. So now I go into my sound recordings. My sound recording. 2023-01-17-1728 Ottawa comma on January 17, 2023, comma 5 colon 28 p.m. 0 colon 21. Heading. So that's the date and the time of this recording. So let's play it. 2023-01-17-1728 Ottawa time. comma on January. Compose. Play. Hit the play button. Pause. So I'll make a bird sound. There you go. Pause. Button. Pause. Merlin has no matches, comma, Merlin results are best when you are in a quiet place, comma, close to the bird, comma, and standing still, period. So Merlin has no matches. I could not fool the Merlin. There you go. Merlin bird ID. That's a great little tool. Check it out. Welcome, Olivia Carvalho, to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. So glad you could join us uh, from Birds Canada. Tell us a little bit about who you are and, and, and who Birds Canada is. Yeah, thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. My work as the Urban Engagement and Events Coordinator for Birds Canada has taken me to some very exciting places this year. So I'm glad to share with you about COP15. Um, really, Birds Canada is a conservation organization and a not-for-profit that was born out of the Long Point Bird Observatory in Ontario over 60 years ago. Um, and the work that we do spans all across the country, but our mission is to drive action to increase the understanding, the appreciation, and the conservation of birds in Canada at this core. You guys do great work, by the way. I love featuring your calls to action and, and reading your emails and stuff. Uh, you know, you're really doing a lot of stuff in the field. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, traditionally more of a science focus, but um, to get people to care, you got to dive into that outreach piece. So um, that's a really exciting portfolio that I get to be a part of. Very cool. And you were a part of the COP15 meeting. But before you tell us about what you did there, Give us just a real quick thumbnail sketch of the COP15 meeting, what it was like, and then why was Birds Canada there and what were you doing there? So this was the 15th meeting of the Conference of the Parties, which is part of the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, not to be confused with COP27, which happened in November in Egypt, which was a climate change conference. And this was a biodiversity conference in Montreal. Um, 
And the CBD is an international agreement that acts as a framework for how we should be defending plants and animals and making sure our natural resources are used sustainably. Um, and Boards Canada joined the call because we really wanted to be a part of Canada reaching a global deal to halt and reverse biodiversity loss before it's too late. There's a lot of biodiversity uh, reports that came out just ahead of this meeting. I mean, a million uh, species on on track to become extinct around the world. Five hundred thousand species in Canada on track to become extinct. Not not classified endangered at this point, but you know, heading down, right? Yeah, yeah, really shocking when you look at the numbers. Like global wildlife populations have plummeted nearly seventy percent in the last fifty years. So this was a really important opportunity for nations to get on board mm. so what did you think of the conference and uh, and were you guys did you guys have an impression when you went down there did you make an impression you know what it was really exciting to be there in the thick of it um, often these conferences when we're seeing them on the news and hearing them about hearing about the going on through podcast um, you're not really uh. getting a snapshot of what's happening on the ground and um for me to be a part of the, the civil society march that took place on Saturday, December 10th, uh, with over, I think it was over 80 other organizations came together to draw attention to the conference. Um, myself and some Birds Canada folks, as well as volunteers, were dressed up as birds. Um, so it was really powerful to stand with thousands of people in the street and, and to know that we're all working towards that common goal and putting the pressure on for that deal to be reached. Nice. Were there other um, costumed people there from other groups or? Yes. Yeah. Everything from the Lorax to a giant tree. There was um, a caribou. Ten people all had a pole to man this giant caribou puppet. Just beautiful. It created this beautiful visual along with all these signs and chanting. And there was Indigenous drummers. And um, yeah, it was quite a powerful energy to be in the thick of. Well, it did make the media. Uh, there wasn't a lot of media coverage of COP15, though, was there? We did notice that, yeah. And um, pretty disappointing, especially after COP27 in Egypt had had a lot of attention just a month earlier. You look at the, uh, the, the sort of extreme weather events we've been having across Canada, around the world, and it's always reported by the media in terms of uh, loss of life, human life. Yes. loss of property you know buildings communities you know streets buildings all of that stuff um a little bit of coverage of loss of farm animals you know when when barns and things are impacted by sure. floods and fires and so on in in almost nothing about the impact on uh, on wildlife yeah i don't have an answer for why that is but it is discouraging, and I think that's why we had kind of put so much hope and energy into COP15, getting us on the global stage for, for why people should be linking the biodiversity crisis to the climate crisis. So so there was 196 countries in attendance. The EU were there. Um, I guess the United States was there as well. China was there. and uh, And it was largely successful in terms of uh, reaching agreements, wasn't it? Yes, they did reach an agreement. Um, we didn't know if that was going to actually happen and go through at the end of this conference, but a global framework to halt and reverse biodiversity loss was agreed to. So yeah, I think that's a great starting place. I think it was more of a restatement of the 30% um, protection of land, water, rivers, and oceans by the year 2030. I mean, 
a lot of countries like Canada had made that a, a commitment already, but this really cemented that commitment, didn't it? Yeah, and honestly, that is a very short timeline um, coming into the year 2023 now. So yeah, I yeah, I'm happy to see that agreement was reached. Absolutely. I know there were some scientists that were saying that protecting 30% of the planet is the bare minimum if, we, if we're going to divert this loss of biodiversity, if we're going to prevent that from happening. This is, this is the bare minimum. Like currently 17% of the world's land and 10% of the world's marines are under protection. Um, that's a, a good bump to get us going, I think. You know, if you look at Lake the Great Lakes, there's only two marine protection areas on the Great Lakes right now, one on Lake Superior, one on Lake Huron, and they're not huge. I think the the on the American side, they have a, a little more going on than what we got on the Canadian side. But you would think the Great Lakes, you know, the largest collection of fresh water in the world that we'd be all over that. I think that's why this this deal, the fact that it was reached and agreed to in December is really exciting because, you know, even though it's not a legally binding contract, the governments will be expected to show their progress on meeting the targets and their national biodiversity plans that they have to come forward with. So um, that is a piece that Birds Canada will be directly involved with. So what areas of Canada does that uh, impact? And what areas of Canada should we be concerned about in terms of birds and their migration routes and habitat? If there are folks in the Toronto area, the Leslie Street Spit is on that list. Um, a very important stopover for bird migration um, in the spring, especially. There's about 40 million birds that make their way back through the greater Toronto area in the in the month of May. So that's a great time to get out for some birding, um, but also a really dense biodiversity area. And what about out west? And, and uh, is there some migration routes there? There's different flyways that come up through the states from farther south, Costa Rica, Mexico, uh, Brazil. Birds that winter down there make their way back for the summer and for their nesting season. Um, and depending on which flyway they take or what is part of their species, um, they could land in kind of any area across the country. We do have a loss of birds in terms of numbers, I guess, in, in terms of North America. It, it's been going down, hasn't it? Devastatingly so, yes, absolutely. What can we do to, to help turn that around? Uh, the best is to start by getting to know birds. Um, there's amazing apps like the Merlin Bird ID app. I love that app because it identifies bird sounds and then gives you an indication of what you might be hearing when you're out in nature. I use it myself and it is pretty accessible, like for the blind on my iPhone. It's uh, It works well. And, and I love it because... Now, I, you know, when I'm out walking with the kids or my wife and I point at a bird sound and I say, hey, what's that? And they look up at the tree and they say, Dad, I can't see the bird. It's in the, it's in the tree. <laughs> but now I got my Merlin bird identifier. I could just turn that on and it tells me all about the bird and what it is. It's a really neat tool. I'm glad to hear that it's been exciting for you to use on your walks too. One thing I noticed though, this past summer in 2022, there was less birds in my neighborhood. And I'm wondering if that had to do with the avian flu that was, you know, impacting migratory birds and farm poultry. Yeah, very well could be. You're not the only person that I've heard say they, they didn't feel like the birds were as high numbers this year. Um, but it could also be for a number of different reasons, including habitat loss or um, pesticide exposure, 
we, when we're educating the public, some really easy things you can do at home are window treatments that prevent bird collisions. Mm. Um, and there's a number of resources online for either getting a kit or learning how to use paint markers to to decorate your windows in a way that's bird friendly. Mm -hmm. um, another big thing is to keep your cats inside. Um, cats, even more than windows, are detrimental to bird loss. There was a petition, I think, being circulated for Ontario to uh, amend the building code to make them more bird friendly. Yeah, and that's actually very tied to the Bird Friendly Cities program with Nature Canada that we're a national partner with. Um, but the hope is that with the Bird Friendly Cities certification program growing and more cities becoming bird friendly certified, um, there'll be more of a commitment on a government level to make sure not only new buildings, but that retrofitting is in place too to prevent these window collisions. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Keep up the great work. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And if there's any other questions or people want to know what else they can do to conserve wild birds at home, uh, the Birds Canada website is just chock full of awesome resources, as well as our newsletter if you're looking to stay in the know. Okay, what's the uh, website address? Yep, it's birdscanada.org. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, the manager of AMI-audio, Zandi Frank. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.